Kia ora and welcome to a very, very special episode of the podcast, episode 60. And it was a huge honor today to have none other than Kevin McNally hop on the podcast for this very special episode. Kevin McNally, he's a Hollywood actor and you'll know him from roles such as Mr. Gibbs from Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, You'll know him also from Doctor Who, Downton Abbey, Designated Survivor, all sorts. He was King Lear at the Globe Theatre. He is just an awesome dude with a very decorated career and he had so much to share in this podcast. You're going to love it. Lock in. Welcome to another deep dive, everybody, and uh, one of my personal favourites, Mr. Kevin McNally. Thanks for thanks for jumping on, mate. That's uh, my pleasure. I'm looking forward to it immensely. As we said off air, you are in Dublin right now. Um, I am, yeah. And um, I must say, I must say, Ireland does seem like one of the one of the nicest places you can actually visit. If I'm if I'm honest. Yeah, no, it's lovely, and, and I'm of Irish heritage, so it's really nice to come back and. Um, and you know, visit all the the places that I've known over the years. It's changed a lot, of course, as everywhere has. But it's going to be really nice. And I'm really looking forward to the um, the convention over the weekend because I think it's going to be fun, and I'm going to meet a lot of uh, you know old friends and stuff like that. Oh, that that's actually one thing when you're on the kind of the circuit. Is it is it like a comic con kind of thing? Because if you're you're on those circuits, you probably yeah, do exactly. run. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I'll look. In fact. Um, uh, yeah, I do that a lot, and I'm on a little I'm on a little tour at the moment because I'm going to do. I'm also promoting a book that I've written, so I'm doing this, and I'm doing Budapest, and I'm doing um, uh, uh, Lexington in Kentucky. Um, and it's funny to be talking to New Zealand because in 2015, when I was in Australia um, uh, doing the last Pirates of the Caribbean film, I did a lot of conventions in Australia. And I had a couple of conventions lined up to do in New Zealand. Right. Um, which I was really looking forward to. Um, sadly, and I say this with all the love in the world because he's a darling man, but um, Johnny Depp is not the most punctual of gentlemen. Um, when I asked if I could go to New Zealand to, uh, <laughs> to yeah, do yeah. the conventions, they said, no, you better stick around just in case, you know, Johnny doesn't show up or he turns <laughs> up and we have so he robbed me of my chance to visit New Zealand, but I'm sure I shall correct that omission one day very soon. Oh, you, yeah, we've got some of the most beautiful coastlines and beaches and views in the world. And, oh, yeah. and, and it's funny because we're in our own backyard and we think we can't wait to go and travel and see Europe and see see the Americas and all of that. All of that. But we're actually, we actually, a lot of people tell us that aren't from New Zealand, oh, you guys have got it good there, you know. Well, you've also got everything. You've got the mountains, you've got the beaches, you've got the, the beautiful greenery. It's a very green country, I'm told, because it's quite wet, I understand. Yeah. A bit like Ireland, yeah. Yeah, it would be. Uh, it so, yeah, so I can't wait. Um, I, in fact, I'm hoping somebody who runs a convention will um, will hear this and and, uh, and get me back after missing it in 2015. Well, you've heard it here first, Auckland Armageddon. Um, get on to this, man. Um, <laughs> but um, I am curious, Kevin, because obviously we're in COVID times. I'm a teacher. I'm a primary school teacher. So it has been very right. interesting for us, a lot of teaching online mm. on Zoom and all of that kind of stuff. We're finally back in the class, masks on. It's craziness. Right. But I can imagine you as an actor working in COVID times. It must be very, very surreal. Uh, very strange um i mean one of the interesting things about it for me has been that i'm um i'm a green card so i I live and work in america a lot and uh, so i was able to travel obviously with massive restrictions and massive amounts of paperwork uh but but it took the pressure off me somewhat but also i found that because there wasn't a lot of uh um particularly in the early lockdown in 2020, mm. there was not a lot of um, a big production going on. So I actually found that I had the opportunity to work with a lot of young people who perhaps I wouldn't have been available for um, yeah. in the past. And they, and they all took the opportunity, you know, with a, a big, you know, COVID testing and, and, and distancing, you know, the, the, you'll find a lot of films made in 2020, everyone's standing very far apart, <laughs> yeah. you know, and masks and stuff. So I managed to do a few and, and have made some really good friendships amongst a, a lot of uh, younger filmmakers. Um, I also had the fortune, um, just before COVID happened, I decided that um, 
my beautiful uh, English voice wasn't being used enough on voiceovers. So I, I, I bought <laughs> a number of microphones and stuff. I carried them around with me when I traveled the world. And I've tried to set up some stuff to be able to record professionally mm. uh, voiceovers. So I, I managed to do uh, voiceovers for a few TV series and things like that, uh, oh, okay. the narration and that. So I was really lucky um, with all of those things that it wasn't as, as, as soul-destroying as it's been, I think, for many people. And certainly for people in your profession, it must be very hard um, to do that remotely. And it's not something I envy you having to do. Yeah, well, yeah, it's, it's, I think the one thing that you get, gets you through is thinking, okay, we're all in, in the same boat on this one. You know, it's not just me mm-hmm. out here in my own little little world. But I think that's interesting mm-hmm. in terms of... Um, voice recording because when I look at people like um you know Robin Williams and um all that like Tom Hanks all those guys doing like the Toy Stories and the Aladdins and all of that mm. it's they look like they have some of the most fun you know they're on they're very talented on screen actors too but when they when you're doing voice acting it's a completely different different beast altogether it it really is um and and, and it's when you first started it's quite uh scary because you realize you have to put all of the performance into the voice yeah and when you start out you have the tendency to be a little bit boring actually because you're used to you know gesturing and and your face and you're used to all these things that make you know whatever is interesting about you as an actor so you have to learn to sort of almost um almost inject that into your voice and you, you early on you'll find people saying things like, you know, can you say that again, but say it with a smile or say it with yeah. a sadness or, you know, say it very energetically. So uh, it's a, it's a, it's a really interesting discipline. And, um, but when you get it right, you, you can feel very um, happy about it because you can hear the difference, you know. Have you got any in your mind or just that comes to your mind, any voice actors that you think of that you think are the top of the, the, the class when it comes to that? Well, the funny thing is that the really great voice actors, you often don't know their names um, mm. if, if they solely do that. Um, but there are a number of There's one guy who's, I, I'm, and I'm really sorry his name's gone for the moment, but, um, and I did get, the, I had the pleasure of meeting him. Um, he used to, in the 90s, uh, voice a cartoon series called Johnny Bravo. Oh, yes. And, yeah. uh, and I, and I love, he's done a lot of, so he also plays um, Dexter's dad in Dexter's laboratory. Um, yeah. um, I love that. So uh, I wish I could remember his name. Uh, anyway, uh, he was, he was one I particularly enjoyed and uh, he's got a real, uh, th- I, I did, there is another guy as well who, funnily enough, when I finished Pirates of the Caribbean, I, I noticed that there was a Pirates of the Caribbean game and I'd not recorded it. Um, and it was this voice actor, and I knew another voice actor who knew him, and I said, look, would you do me a favor? Would you give me his phone number? Yeah. So I phoned him up, and I made a threatening phone call saying, <laughs> if I ever hear you playing Mr. Gibbs again, I will find you. I will find your family, and I will kill you all. And uh, he went, oh, that must be given me. Now I know you got my number. Um, but then afterwards, I did say to Disney, you know, I don't want to rub this guy at work, but I'd, I'd really like to do all of Mr. Gibbs' voice, so I've done a lot more voice work for that now that is actually that is funny because I'm, I'm in my 20s and i think i remember that game it was a playstation game i'm pretty sure um probably that, yeah that yeah. is funny yeah um yeah that must be interesting when you hear other people doing you you know and uh, you know you've got impressionists and all of that kind of thing all around the mm. the scene when it comes to acting but yeah someone taking on your voice i i know quite a few talented voice actors and i know one of, one of them is named schaefer bates i don't know if you've ever come across him but he he's from um no. I think he is from Ireland, actually. But yeah, I'd tell him, Kevin McNally, give him an hour and he'd probably have your voice almost down perfectly. That's quite scary. As well, it's a wonderful talent that they have. You know, you can hear a voice. I mean, I, I've had to impersonate people in the past. and I, So I listen to good impressionists and, and see what they what they go for. Um, and it's a, it's a real hybrid uh, skill. I, I was just working, actually, with the director who directed the film Stan and Ollie. Um, yep with Steve Coogan and uh, he said he'd, and I was talking to him about how they'd done a wonderful impression of uh, Laurel and Hardy. And, and I said, what was Steve's take on impressions? And he said, well, what Steve said was he never impersonates people. He finds somebody else who does a good impression of them mm. and he impersonates them. 
And I, for many years, had to uh, recreate uh, on radio a very famous comedian from the 50s and 60s called Tony Hancock mm. here in England. And there were 20 episodes that were lost and they asked me to recreate them. And I found that what I did is I went back to when I was a kid, an impressionist who used to impersonate Tony Hancock right. <laughs> and did an impression of him. So it's a very, it's a, it is a very interesting hybrid and one that I really enjoy doing. Yeah, yeah, no, that 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 is it is really cool and it is really cool when you see it when you see it pay off, eh? Um, I'm, yeah. I am interested. I, I want to ask about just the early days first, but before I do, I, you talked about working with young uh, directors and young young talent through the COVID season because of because of the yeah. big productions were shut down. I'm interested. You know, you've got your the likes of Gore Verbinski, your um, Martin Scorsese's, your Christopher Nolan's. These kind of heavy hitters very experienced directors and their, their way of doing things. When you work with this new talent that's coming through, what are the differences that you're seeing? You know, what is it, what is it, does it make you excited for the future of, of filmmaking and the hands it's going to be left in, in the, in the future? Very much so because um, what happens is um, maybe not so much for the big hitters. They're very much in charge of what they do, but when young people uh, start out and start making films, um, you know, for very little money, they're in complete control of what they're doing. So, and if I directed my first short film in 2020, and I was very, you know, I just thought I can do whatever I like mm. uh, now because I'm not spending anybody else's money. You know? um, so it's very fun. It's also very good to be able to help young filmmakers when you can see they're about to make some terrible error. Yeah. in the way they're going to shoot something and they're going to create themselves, paint themselves into a corner or they're not going to be able to cut it together. You can have a quiet word and say, you know, you really need the camera on the other side of this actor or it, it, it's not going to work. Um, it's it's the malleability of them, which is great. Mm. Um, and, and also you find out that whether people listen or not, you know, I'm sure all of the great filmmakers will say when they started out, if they, if they, if they did have an experienced voice around, they'd make sure they listened to it because mm. that's, there's no better learning ground than that. Mm. Yeah. No, that's, that, that's, a, that's a big one actually. I mean, even, even as a teacher, you know, you got your, um, you know, your, your, your fresh teachers and your experienced teachers. And I think the, the thing that bridges that gap is the, the ability to be teachable. Hey. Yeah. I, and, and I think regardless of what the profession is, I think that is, very much. Uh, you, you, if I, I'll tell you a funny story about this. Um, <laughs> I often tell this. I mm. was once on a TV show, and I always say this to assistant directors uh, when I work with them. I said that I, I saw the shortest assistant director career that ever happened <laughs> in the TV industry. And it was because it was a guy, a guy on the set had a son who wasn't getting any work, and he, he begged them to let on. He, it was a grip. Uh, you know, he yeah, didn't yeah. move. He didn't move the camera around, and he said, uh, "Can can I can I get my son in just to be like a runner and you know, go kind of fetch the actors and things?" And he said, "Yeah, we'll give him a go." Anyway, day one, he turned up, and I was standing next to him and the first assistant director, and the assistant director, the the, the director went, "Okay, we're ready." And he turned to this kid and said, um, "Okay, can you go and get the actors, please?" And the kid went, "What now?" <laughs> <laughs> I thought. At the end of his career, <laughs> yeah. go and get them. Don't ask questions. Let's go and do it. So you know, he eminently wasn't teachable. It's yeah. the usual wonderful phrase. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, you've got to. I mean, if I had the um, the amount of kids that had that kind of reply to me in the classroom, mate, I I would be. If really? I had a dollar for every time, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah it's you'd have four hundred eighty-eight dollars yeah, <laughs> a day. <laughs> um. Hey, I'm curious. So I know you would get asked this kind of question all the time, um, which is ironic, but it's also at the same time very interesting because people want to know. Um, if I had to said, you know, I'll phrase it this way. If I had to said to 15, 14-year-old Kevin, you know, the likes of Doctor Who, Pirates of the Caribbean, um, Supernatural, Designated Survivor, all these um, fantastic pieces, that was where your life was going into the world of, theater and hollywood and movies and, and shows and all of this stuff would you would you have believed it it's a really good question um i guess i'm glad you didn't say that to 15 year old kevin because i might have just sat back and gone well it's great it's gonna happen so i don't have to do anything now mm -hmm. um i i know that um i learned over my career what success meant to me and it was nothing to do with 
uh, fame or money. Mm. Um, in fact, a lot of, I, I teach a lot nowadays um, and with little film cl classes and things. And, and often they say to me, what's your favorite job? Mm. And I say, I'm lucky enough to be able to tell you my favorite job is my next one. Mm. You know, um, the, if, you, if you'd have told me and made me understood when I was 15, that the biggest success I would have had was that I'm going to be allowed to do this for 50 years nonstop until my body or brain gives out. Mm. I'd have been a very happy, happy boy. And uh, of course, mind you, if you told me I was going to be in Doctor Who twice, I think I would have kissed you on the cheek because... <laughs> I, I can remember seeing the first episode of Doctor Who yeah. back in 1963. So, you know, to, to the idea that, you know, all these years later, I'd be in a, a you know, getting very nice responses for a performance and that, yeah. it would have thrilled me, really. Yeah, it's actually, it's but actually. I, but I'd, I'd, keep, I'd keep young 15-year-old Kevin in the dark about all that and make sure he works hard. Did young 15-year-old Kevin want to be an actor at that point or was it later on? No, no, I, I absolutely I wanted to be. I, I, I briefly harbored an idea to be an astrophysicist, oh, yeah. but um, okay. my my math my math teacher said, "Please don't no. do that. It's <laughs> a real waste. It's going to be a waste of everyone's time." Yeah. Um, I, I'd always wanted to be an actor, and um, at the age of fifteen, uh, I went on a school trip to my local theatre, the Birmingham Repertory Theatre and saw a wonderful actor who later became a friend called Derek Jacobi, who, who did a wonderful um, show. It was, it was two one-act plays. One was Oedipus Rex, which is a very heavy Greek play. Mm -hmm. And the other was The Critic by um, Richard Brinsley Sheridan, which is a very light um, restoration comedy. And I remember looking at this and going, that is definitely what I want to do. Yeah. And the amazing thing was a year later, I was working in that theater at the age of 16 oh, and yeah. um, feeling I was incredibly lucky then. So that was a, that's a very nice memory for the onset of my career, yeah. which does mean that even though I'm only 66, um, I am celebrating my uh, 50th year as an actor. That um, is, that is awesome. Congratulations, my friend. I mean, I, well, it's a half a century. I, I mean, know. It's just ridiculous. Every time I say it, I've, I, I just, I don't know, I, I just think it can't really be 50 years. Surely ago. not. <laughs> Surely not, but it really is. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's quite that's quite the achievement. I think um, I'm really glad you said theatre because I personally um, have just fallen, well, not just, as a youngster, I was in, um, I was in uh, oh, Romeo and Juliet at school. I was Mercutio. Mm -hmm. Um I can still remember my a few of my lines today, and I and I, it was one of the, my favorite experiences being on stage. And even though that's not the career path I went down, even as a teacher, you kind of embody that a little bit, you know, drama, teaching drama, oh, yeah, 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 lots of fun. But yeah. um, I I fell in love with the idea of the Globe Theatre. We have a pop up Globe Theatre that comes to Auckland, and even recently oh. I I went and uh, yeah, it's that's just a it's not obviously the real deal, but it's yeah, they do a pop up no. Globe and um and they get um some I think school talent. I'm not quite sure actually. That I'm um, going to perform some classic Shakespearean plays, but yeah, the the, oh, the, the theater is one of the coolest places. I just went and watched the Lion King musical was in New Zealand last year. Um, All right, Hamilton, which is on Disney, you know, watching that. The theater mm -hmm. is such a cool space, and the people are fantastic. Um, and uh, I and both of those shows you mentioned are fantastic as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, if I ever get my, the chance to see Hamilton, for example, live, I would. I'll be. I'll be heading overseas to see it. But um, I want to know theater. Theater like isn't when people talk about. Oh, you know, you're an actor in music, uh and movies and shows. But theater is is a, is a space all on its own. It's it's. A, I mu I must think it's one of the pinnacles. To be honest. Well, it is, and of course, it was the starting place for me and the thing um i mean more and more there are people who aren't starting in theater there are people who start in television or they start in other areas while well, at modeling and stuff like that yes yeah. um yeah. the the thing i always try to remind young actors of is this there's a big difference between the theater and filming one is that the final performance in front of the audience is 100 yours mm. in the theater but the final performance in film or television is a collaboration between you, a director and an editor. So um, that can be good. It can also be bad if they make choices that you don't particularly like because you've offered different stuff up. Mm -hmm. But there is nothing like 
going on. And, and you talk about the Globe. I played King Lear at the Globe uh, four years ago now, yeah. I think five years ago. And I remember on the first night walking onto that stage thinking, for the next two and a half hours, the leer that they see will be every decision I make every three or four seconds, you know. Mm. And I thought that's an incredible responsibility and it's an incredible honour mm. um, and uh, truly enjoyable. Sadly, because it's such an amazing role, uh, I haven't been on the stage since because it would take something really, really amazing to get me out of my lazy space and <laughs> and get into a, a yeah. theatre role again, you know. Yeah. But it would have to be something so exciting, you know. Maybe, maybe in a, uh, yeah, or I mean, I'm even thinking with King Lear, I mean, how long was that run that you were on that for? We did that for about two months, but it, it, um, with, with roles like that, um, you only ever do them in a repertory system. You, you wouldn't go and do King Lear eight nights a week, eight shows a week. Yeah. Uh, you simply, just because of the age, I mean, I'm at the very youngest age to play that, mm. but at that age, you know, you, you, you're just vocally and physically, you can't, uh, particularly in the globe, which is a very unforgiving space because it's made of wood. Yes. It's, you know, it's not a beautifully acoustic designed theatre. Yeah. Um, it's really hard work, and you have to be very prepared for it. And uh, I don't, I don't think I could have done it eight times a week, but I did it enough. I did it six times a week. Probably was the most I ever did it. So when you see when you see these performers that are are doing things like like your Lion Kings, which is singing and dancing and jumping around, and or, or your Hamiltons or, or whatever, and they're doing eight shows a week, two shows a day, you know when they do matinee performances, and then they, I mean, you must tip your hat to them because that that does look like. I remember I had a, I had a Lion King actor on here, um, and and he was saying that the amount of physical training, the the, the what they eat, um, everything for, to their sleep patterns, it's so concise. Oh yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, one of the demanding things about theatre, because I'm sure this chap was telling you, was um, your entire day, every day, is judged around being ready at seven thirty to walk on that stage and do what it is required for you to do. Um, I have to say, I, I'm not uh, particularly worrying about these people because they're probably all in their early 20s and they've got more <laughs> energy than they need. Um, as time goes on, you, you really have to go, where the hell am I going to find the energy for this today? <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, but not to in any way undermine the discipline. I, I actually have mentored a couple of people at a local uh a drama school that particularly uh, emphasizes uh, musical theater. Yeah. And I am constantly amazed of, of the, the myriad of, of uh, disciplines mm. they need to get on in that. And I, and, and of course I see people who I think, my God, you're incredibly talented and they don't even get a look in, mm. you know, they never get anywhere because there's everyone and his dog wants to be a musical theater star. So, you know, the, 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 the bar is so high for them. Uh, mm. Very, very difficult. Very difficult thing to want to do and to achieve, I think. So what do you think stands out the ones that do make it to the ones that can't? Because, I mean, it can't be that much of a gap of talent. Well, yeah, I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever played soccer. Yes, but, I do. Um, I play, yeah. I've, right. I, I've I've played, you know, for theatres or for my drama school or, you know, filming. We said we'll get a football match together. And... I always remember being in uh, Berlin, um, oh God, it was 20 years ago now. And we decided we were going to reenact the 1966 World Cup German crew, English actors. Yeah. And they thought they were going to thrash us, and we thrashed them, I'll tell you. <laughs> but there were some really good amateur footballers there. A couple of guys, very good, Ken Branner, a uh, couple of other guys. Really, all, all really into their football, really good. But there was one guy, an actor, um, who had actually played professionally when he was a young man. Right. And he was put as def I was in goal. I always am a goalkeeper. You're a keeper, man. And uh, nice. he, he was put in, put in front of me. The difference between the very best amateur and him as a rather unsuccessful professional was the Atlantic Ocean. Right. Um, his control, his ability with the ball. Nobody who came near him worried him. He knew how to, nobody was going to get the ball off him. Yeah. He, when he was going to put the ball somewhere, he was going to put it there and he was going to go there. And I think in theatre, it's a bit like that. Yeah. I think there's really, 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 really good. And then there's this big chasm 
to excellence, mm. you know. Mm. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, I think most things are like that. Yeah, and it's true. So, unfortunately for the people who are really, 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 really good, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but it's mirrored with hard work too, I, you know. you gotta you got to put the work in. I am going to say, I'm a bit surprised oh, you said. absolutely, nobody. No, I, nobody's going to make it in this profession without being nah. prepared to put the work in. Nah. Uh, and certainly not stay there. I mean, there are lots of two or three year careers but that's about it really. yeah yeah the old short stints I was going to say though I'm a bit surprised you said soccer I mean I was waiting for football you know coming from Europe oh it just I've spent far too much time in America I can tell I, I really have <laughs> but I'm just I'm just fed up of explaining myself so I have to I, I, so I true because they call so football also, American also, football don't they <laughs> I know well, which I keep saying to them, um, it would really be bet- better named um, um, hand tri- uh, hand oval, you know, <laughs> yeah. rather than football. Yeah, there's hardly even um, feet yeah, I, I, <laughs> I say trunk and bonnet as well, and, and hoods rather than uh, bonnet and boots. So I, I, I've got some terrible Americanisms that have come into my yeah. vocabulary. Oh, well, there you go. Well, that's what happens. The more time you spend around a someone or a place, the more you become like it, as, as they say. Yeah, exactly. um, hey, yeah. I, I do want to know... Um, I, I want to ask you about pirates, but I, before I do, I just want to ask you, you know, when you're trying to make a role your own and embody a character and become a character, um, how, how do you, because every actor's got a different answer to this, but how do you connect with a character um, to make it your own? You know, you, you've, you're given a script and you said, look, this is, um, even Mr. Gibbs, for example, this is who your character is. Now, you, Obviously, depending on the situation, they might tell you a little bit more what they want. Versus, and then some scenarios, they say make it your own. What, what is that then for you? You've got the script, you've got an idea of where what you care. You might even have some concept designs of whatever. What's that process then for you to actually embody and become that character for the next however long shooting is? Well, it has a number of phases. The first thing is the first reading of the script, uh, which I always like to do uninterrupted in one go. So I get an idea of that, and also don't read the stage directions. Don't read the things that they're writing to help the producers understand what's going on. So just from what the character does and says, you make your first stab at it. Then there's research. Mm. Um, Interesting about the concept design, an interesting thing happened with Pirates, actually, that um, when we were doing the reading, uh, Johnny Depp then was a part owner of the Viper Room in LA, and we, 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 we did a reading of it there. And as usually happens, you, you've got all the leading actors there, but they haven't hired the day players yet. You know, the guys who are going to come from little parts. And there was a little part at the beginning of a sailor who asked this girl to stop singing about pirates, this very, this very um, superstitious sailor, sailor. And they said, would you read that, you know, along with another number of little parts. And I misunderstood, and I read it exactly like, what I'd come up with for Mr. Gibbs. And they went, oh, no, that isn't the same character, but wouldn't it be great if it was the same character? So we can have him as this um, sailor who was so scared of pirates, the only way he could stop being scared of pirates was to become a pirate. And (laughs) then we could get the costume because we assume he was cashiered out of the Navy. And the way they used to that was to rip their sleeves off and to rip the buttons off. So there we have the costume. We have a tattered old Navy costume. So little wow. little chance things like that yeah. can happen uh, that you don't plan but just uh, but just come up. Mm. And interestingly enough, you know, talking about what Steve Coogan said about impersonating somebody impersonating mm. in the voice, I, I I referred to this um, uh, comedian that I replaced all the lost radios for Tony Hancock. He used to do an impression of uh, the actor who played. Um, Long John Silver in the 50s version of Treasure Island. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Robert Newton. Robert yeah. Newton. So I did an impression of Tony Hancock, do an impression of Robert <laughs> Newton in the 50s. And I went, oh, that'll do me. That seems about right. Yeah. Just admit, and remember to keep only one eye open when you're speaking, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. So that, you know, just an amalgam of stuff that comes together and then you hopefully make it your own really yeah now that's 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 really cool and i think a lot of people listening in that are um budding actors or on their way somewhere it's actually a very profound way to put it you know looking at variations of a role versus okay this is this is this is who i'm going to impersonate this is what i'm going to become but actually doing that what does it look like in this 
like? What does it look like if I impersonate this person, impersonate yeah. that person? You know, it's it's uh, more than but one ha- avenue. But having, no, you're absolutely right. But having said that, um, my advice to my students is always, but don't go in being a blank page. Go in mm. with a really strong offer. Mm. Because it, particularly in auditions, you know, people think, oh, I wonder what they want me to do to get this role. And often they don't know. They're mm. just waiting there for somebody to do something when they go, that's it. That's what we want. Yeah. So, you know, you, you'll lose eight out of nine auditions, but the one you get, they'll really, really want you to do. And they'll really, it, it, you've made it your own. So mm. do that. Well, you you are obviously lucky enough to to successfully get the role of of Mr. Gibbs, um, Joshua Me Gibbs. Um, was that, um, was that a, I mean, because I don't know. So I'm curiously asking, was that a sure f- role for you in the sense of you knew it was going to happen or did you audition like like everybody else oh no i auditioned for it um um, i i was at that point about five years before i was in a theater and i realized that i hadn't been in a film for about nine years and I, i i phoned my agent and i took a hiatus and I said, I've really got to get some film credits. Otherwise, they, they'll just go, oh, he doesn't do films, you know. Mm. And in fact, I, I'd heard somebody had said that. And it really sort of upset me, really. Yeah. So um, I, I didn't work for about five months. And I got some friends were doing some films. Uh, my mate, Peter Howitt, was doing Sliding Doors. And I did that. And another mate of mine was directing the Spice World film. And he gave me a little part in that. Oh, yeah. And then I did, then I did a, a film um, uh, in Dublin here yeah, called... Um, uh, with Joan Allen, I can't remember what the film was called. And then I did a film, with a tiny little part in a Sean Connery film called Entrapment. So I'd started to get, um, a, so then I started to go up for American movies and I never got them. I just mm. never got them. And one day I was sitting in my back garden, it was my birthday actually. And uh, one of my friends said to me, Aren't you supposed to be at an audition for a film today? And I said, Yeah, but it's an American film. I never get them. And uh, you know, I can't be bothered. It's my birthday. And they said, yeah. oh, oh, come on. I think you should go. You know, it's a, you know, it's a ticket in the lottery. Yeah. And I said, well, I can't know now because I'm a bit pissed, actually. <laughs> I, it's my birthday. I've talked about a bottle of wine. He said, well, it's for a pirate, isn't it? It doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. So they drove me. They very kindly drove me to the um, audition. And uh, I, and the woman said, well, the, the guy, the director called Vavinsky, has sent a message saying, can you get the guys you get in to tell a story in a piratey way? Um, so I decided to start telling a story, uh, you know, really, you know, saying, well, one night this thing happened. And anyway, the next day he phoned me up and offered me the job. He said, it's great. Uh, he said, that Brilliant. that's exactly what I wanted. And I didn't know. I you know, yeah, yeah. drunk a bottle of I didn't really care. I certainly didn't think I was going to get it. And I certainly didn't think of film based on a ride at Disneyland was ever going to be successful. But of course, then later on, you realize people like Johnny Depp and Jeffrey Rush have attached their names and they know a lot more about films than I do. Mm. So I thought it did have a chance. And indeed, you know, 20 years later, here I am talking to you about it, you know. It's it's the thing because I'm a movie buff, me and my flatmates, we, yeah, it's a movie a day over lockdown, you know, and, um, Right, I would right. argue that pi- pirates. I call it one of the the pillars of. Well, you can't call it a trilogy anymore, but what would you call right, it? Right, five films, a, a series, a, a, tri- a trilogy with with two hangers on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I, I for us, Lord of the Rings is one of the creams of the crop, being from New Zealand. You know, but you got your Lord of the Rings, your Star Wars. Your Pirates of the Caribbean, your Jurassic Park, you know what I mean? Like it is in the conversation. With, your Marvel Universe. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I know, but I mean, there's a film of week in that one. <laughs> I know exactly. Yeah. Um, what's the plot line again? But um, you, you're right. It's one of the most successful film franchises of all, of all time. Well, it's extraordinary. I mean, the amount of times over the twenty years, my agent would phone me up and say, um, uh, Okay, it's just come out. It's the most successful film ever. It would last about two weeks until yeah, something yeah, else yeah. came out. But, yeah. but it kept on hitting the number one mm. spot. The first film, I think, hit the number one spot for about three weeks. That it was, even with inflation, mm. it had earned the most money mm. ever. Mm. You know? And for you... It's a pretty thing to be part of. Oh, absolutely. And I know I know. for you, you probably... Obviously, you do. You talk about it all the time. But I... I for me, when I look at that role, you at the time, you'd done a lot 
of of things, both film and and theatre. But when you're stepping onto the, into, into onto set with with the likes of Jeffrey Rush and Johnny Depp, and and then you're young and well younger up up and comers like Kira Knightley and Orlando and mm-hmm. all of those guys. Did did you find yourself a little bit thinking, not starstruck, but a little bit thinking, wow, this is this is this is the big leagues now. This is we're on we're on here. Well, to to an extent, um, it was certainly the biggest thing I'd ever been involved with, and so I was aware of that. I I still wasn't sanguine that it was going to be a hit. Yeah. Um, so that sort of took the pressure off a little bit. And of course, by the time we came and did the second one, and, and it literally was within weeks of the film coming out, mm. people were saying to me, this is one of the biggest hits of all time. I mean, and it was very, very hard for me in my mid to late 40s to go, I'm suddenly not Hollywood hit. I, I really thought that was never going to happen. Um but then by the time I went back to do the second one, I was so firmly part of it that I certainly wasn't nervous. I just thought, oh, it's just going on and we'll do some more. And then the, the, the next two films were also massive hits. The, the, the After Gore left, mm. the fourth and the fifth, not so much so, but they were still massive mm. movies. Um, and it, it, what, what I suppose the most interesting thing for me is that it made my... It, it transformed my career at the age of 47 from being, you know, a, a jobbing English character actor to being able to work all over the world. And I've done so much work in America now. Mm. It transformed my life. It's also very weird. Um, most actors I've worked out have probably been seen by about 160,000 people in their, yeah. even in a successful theatre career. Yeah. Um, I don't go anywhere where somebody doesn't go, Oh my God, you're Mr. Gibbs. I mean, you know, in Asia, yeah. in Australia, in I mean, all over the world, it's a it's a really interesting thing to happen to you. Yeah. And um, I'm glad it's happened like that because I've I've seen real stardom and real fame, and it's not something I would want to have in any way. Mm. Because at, at the same time as having that recognition, I can walk into a bar and yeah. uh, they'll just sing a bloody old bloke having a Guinness at the end of the bar, you know, yeah. try not to engage him. He's probably really boring. So I, I don't have to, you know, I, I'm not pressured by it. Yeah. So I, I've got the best of both worlds. Really. And, you know, it's really cool. I mean, I, I am surprised you're recognized so often, even without the sideburns, the famous sideburns. Um, but um, which you grew naturally for the first ones. But as I understand it, you had fake ones for the sequels. Am I right? No, I always grew them until the last film and I had to have them stuck on. Oh, okay. Which was a pain in the ass. And in fact, (laughs) if anybody wants to go back to the DVD, if anybody watches DVDs anymore, um, I did make a little making of film, um, which which a lot of it concentrates on my makeup and the fact that that I had to put these bloody sideburns on. But also the fact that when I started out in, in 2002, mm. I was probably a little bit young for the role. So um, mm. the last the last 20 years has been me wearing less and less makeup. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny, they isn't it? They used to give me lines and everything, but now they just go, oh, no, you're fine. As well. I just chuck some dirt on your it's the ultimate backhanded compliment. <laughs> it really is, isn't it? Yeah. Nah, you don't need any makeup. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. At least, at least they still say we got to put mud on your face. Otherwise, that would be a little bit embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be. I mean, I suppose if I wanted to save time, if we ever did it again, just never wash. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I do. You'd say the making of the DVDs. It's very interesting you say that because I, funnily enough, towards the end of high school, I really enjoyed watching the making of, uh, Dead Man's mm. Chest. Um, oh, right. and yeah, also yeah. the third one well, I know you shot them back to back but Dead Man's Chest had really good behind the scenes and I remember one mm. of my favourite things to watch was you and the, and the other actors in the um, in the cage the rolling cage oh yeah 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 that looked oh, like yeah. a world full of fun and obviously you know you, you were like I'm not going to impersonate because I'm not very good but you know when you go these cages you know weren't built till after we got here like that Seeing how oh, they yeah, made yeah, yeah. that cage and how you were doing swinging from the cranes yeah. and rolling, it looked like sickening, but an absolute blast at the same time, you know? 
Well, little Marty Kleber, of course, who, uh, who yeah. plays Marty, um, he's got a very weak stomach. And uh, every time he would get <laughs> sick, I'd say, you've got to come down, Marty's sick again. And all you could hear was the guys who were doing the CGI saying, not on the blue screen. We don't want <laughs> sick going down the side of the of the valley. Um, but what we, that was funny, that, because we, we went, you know, from L.A. to... Uh, all sorts of islands in the Caribbean. And whenever we would land in our jet uh, in the new place, just behind us, you would see the cargo ship that used to follow us, the cargo plane that would follow us. Yes. And we'd all stand, you know, at the bar looking at it, being unloaded and going, yep, there's the cage. We're going to be doing more <laughs> cage work. We were in that cage and virtually over half the planet we were in that cage oh yeah. mate yeah well because i mean that film unlike other films that required you to go on location a lot didn't it yeah yeah there was very particularly i think the only um am i right in this the only thing i think we did in the studio on that film was probably uh, Tiadama, uh, mm. the Tiadama, the the mangrove swamp yeah yeah with, huge set they built at Disney store or it might have been Universal like I can't remember um I think it was Universal in LA but the rest was all um uh was all a location yeah 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 no it, it, it's it, my particular favorite it's my particular favorite because it's got the most Mr. Gibbs in it but which one the dead man's chest yeah the second one yeah yeah oh yeah well the opening the opening's brilliant I mean I mean I told, oh, yeah, I told yeah. people you, you you hopping on the one scene we always talk about is the, the crew are we're, we're hoping for something a little more shiny you know <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> and then you and johnny depp's dialogue and that and that when you're going oh so we're after this key then <laughs> yeah you're not making any sense at all well, that, that's a the great key unlocks. yes exactly yeah <laughs> what the key unlocks yeah it's yeah. great it's a, such a witty script it really is good yeah the uh yeah the writers eh? uh ted uh is it ted? who who are the writers it was ted, uh, uh, Terry Rossio and uh, Ted Elliott. Yes, that's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. brilliant, brilliant. Um, I do, I do want to move on from Pirates. I just want to ask you though, working with Jerry Bruckheimer. I mean, he's, um, you know, one of the bigger producers in in Hollywood. How how was that experience being able to work alongside Jerry and Gore, and you know, from that end? Well, to be honest with you, it was great at the beginning. Uh, it was always great working with those two. They're they're both wonderful men, and they love film. What happened during the course of the 20 years, though, is when we started out back in 2002, if we were going to split a ship in half, we split a ship physically in half. Right. Um, there's another thing was that we used to make the films and then literally two months later, they'd be in the cinema. But what happened during the course of that 20 years was the Marvel franchise started. So it, it, it was later and later, you know, you, you need to get, a, 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 an American holiday weekend for a long weekend to bring them out. So it took two years to get the last one out. We couldn't find, you know, a weekend that yeah. there wasn't a big Marvel film coming out. Right, because so that was 2017 that it was came, released. So 2017, yeah. and we filmed it in 2015. Wow. Um, and the other thing was, is that <laughs> they found a way of draining every, every ounce of joy out of filmmaking by the horrors of green screen. Ah. So it would mean that, you know, anything that was big production used to be like, I can't wait to see what they built. You would go into a big studio painted green that looked like sick yeah. and they would show you some photographs of what it might look like and you're just working in this vacuum. Now, I know directors, are, actors are supposed to have an imagination and we have to employ them in that case, but it was much better when we used to do things Honestly, physically yeah. than, than in latter years, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually very true. That's very true. I, I know that um, Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen and those characters from uh, from the Star Wars, um, when George Lucas decided let's do everything digital, let's do everything blue screen for two and three of that Star Wars, um, they had they said the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah. It just takes all the fun out of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do. I do want to. We'll, we'll get. We're almost at the end there, mate. I'm going to get into the um the the. We've got a few audience questions. Um, mm -hmm. and there's a few curly ones. <laughs> no, nah, they're not that curly. But I do want to ask you. Um, so I have to admit, I loved, still do, Doctor Who. Okay. Um, I I was of the generation that started watching when Christopher Eccleston reprised the role. 
Oh, right, right. So 2008, 2007, something along the yeah. line, somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah. And then David Tennant, brilliant. Um, Matt Smith, brilliant. Peter Capaldi, I, I actually think thought was brilliant, but at that point, I was at university then, I was studying for teaching, and I, I kind of lost the ability to watch it. You know, I'm not home watching it anymore. Yeah, yeah. I was, you know. So I haven't been able to catch up and keep up, and even with Jodie uh, Whittaker, am I right? Yeah. yeah. Who I've heard is brilliant. But I was at work, and um, I was talking to my colleague who watches Doctor Who now, and she told me how, I said, Kevin McNally, I'm hopping on with him. And she said, Kevin McNally, he's in Doctor Who at the moment. Um, and, I, and I thought, no... No bloody way! You serious? And he goes, yeah, yeah. And then so I had to ask her, what was the villain? You know, because I don't know if you were the villain or not. I hadn't watched it yet. I, I was not the villain. No, I, I was sort of a temporary um, uh, a, a, a friend of, of the doctors. Yeah. The villains were Ventorans. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, actually, to tell you the truth, I very similarly hadn't watched a lot of Doctor Who. I'd watched uh, Peter because uh, I know Peter's a friend of mine, so I'd watched Peter. But um, I fa- and also the way these things work is they sent me a script, yeah, uh, for an episode, and then at the end of it, it's like I, I was still there, and I thought, and I I was trying to go back to America because I'd been in England and I wanted to go back to America, and I and I said, um, I don't seem to have been completed it, and we'd love you to do another another one, and then um, I did another one, and I said, well, you still haven't completed this, said, well, we, we might want you to do one more. <laughs> Now, what what happened was this is a terrible spoiler, but um, in fact, I shouldn't really give you the spoilers. Nobody's watched it, but it's been out. Whatever. No, no, no. You've um, got it, mate. If people haven't uh, caught up by now, stop and fast forward five minutes. <laughs> but at, at the end of it, it might appear like I get killed, right? And a lot of people said to me on on the uh, who was it who decided to kill your character? We hate them. And I said, well, I'm really sorry, but it was me. I said, I'll come back and do one more, but please kill me at the end of this because I got shit to be doing in the states. I kept hanging around in Cardiff for the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it, what was nice though about that is that um, people really, which is sort of strange because he's an old guy, you know, but people really responded well to the character and. Um, cool. People have said very nice things about it. And uh, I've noticed on the convention circuit that um, um, not only is it Mr. Gibbs now, but it's, it's Professor Eustatius Jericho. So I think he did capture the imagination Great. of some people. And for that, I'm really happy that that's happened. You know? that, that is that is awesome. Because Doctor Who, it, it, it being, um, being a British um, actor, it's one of the the best things to to ever come out of British British television, you know, and I think oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I think it's one of those shows that, you know, I so the Weeping Angels, which it's who you would mixed up with, right? The Centauri, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. one of the scariest yeah. television uh, villains or, or, or bad people of of all time. I remember my siblings; we used to scare each other by standing in the house, you know, doing the. The, oh, the, absolutely terrifying! I'd never seen them before, and I, I was shitting myself when <laughs> I saw them on set. But I did. Um, I, there was a funny thing happened. Um, I, I'm I'm rather a man who enjoys a little bit of rosé wine, and um, yeah. uh, when we were on set, um, I kept on saying, uh, uh, "Are we working with the Whispering Angels today?" And the director would say, uh, "Kevin, they're called the Weeping Angels. Whispering Angel is a is a brand." Of rose wine that you drink, <laughs> please can you get it straight? So I kept on revealing myself to be the, the shambling alcoholic that I am uh, by referring to them as um, <laughs> a glass wine. Mr. Gibbs never dies, eh? Now, Mr. Gibbs lives on. Yeah. Hey, um, look, we're going to get to these the some of these um, listener questions because there's some some really good ones in here, um, Kevin. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, but before I do, I've got one for my own. And I, as a teacher, one of my, I lost you. Are you back? One of my oh, um, I... favorite things to teach, I teach, you know, as a teacher, you teach uh, math, science, technology, PE, reading and writing. One of my favorite things to teach is writing because kids, I teach 10 year olds, so they're a bit older, right. but their, their ability to be creative and world build is actually phenomenal. And, a lot of them say to me, we do a whole lot of, you know, what do you want to do in your older things? And uh, all of them, almost, they want to be authors. And you've just released oh, really? your what? book. Um, now, correct me if I've got the pronunciation wrong. Is it Sons of Soul? Sons of Soul, yes. Yeah. I have a copy I can show you here. Hold on. 
Yeah, just give, yeah, give, a, give us a give us a gaze, mate. There it is. These will be shifting off the shelves in Dublin over the weekend. It'll be marvellous. Yes. Yes. Fans of Soul. Uh, yeah. I'm so happy to have a book. And I would encourage those kids to do that as well because um, there is nothing, there, there has been no experience in my life funner than when this arrived on my doorstep. And I went, that's all your imagination. It's all it? you. It's all your imagination. How long did it take you? Well, originally, um, it took me about, um, I, I did an intense five months. I was out of work in LA and I wrote it over about five months. And then I put it aside and I was working. And then I, I did um, uh, a few little rewrites. And then there was a period of trying to get it published that, that was a waste of time. It was about five years. Mm. And it was, only, and I thought, well, this is never going to happen. I, I, I just don't have the energy to go out and search people for this. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've, at least I've written it and it's there, you know, and yeah. I, I can give, you know, I can print up some coffee for friends. Yeah. But then I was working with this guy last year and we were having a chat. We were, ha- we were having a chat about how we love science fiction. I said, I wrote a science fiction book, but I, I, you know, I never got around to getting it published. And he said, I'm a publisher too. Send it to me. And within two and a half months, oh, he's done that. So I was so Even the so concept, thrilled. I love, could you hold that up to camera just for a second? I love that concept art on the front too. Even It's beautiful. It's really Pulp Fiction, isn't it? Yeah, and, it uh, is. This is looking and it's just a great, uh, I yeah. really, it's brilliant. I really, really enjoyed it. A, a wonderful, um, uh, a wonderful man called Adrian Baldwin designed it. Um, mm. So thanks to him. So for people listening that want to get their hands on it, now a lot of our audience is New Zealand, Australia and Europe. Um, Europe might be a bit easier, but ha- what's the distribution happening? Is there any in the site you can well, us? At the moment, because both me and uh, the producer, are, the, the publisher, are very busy, we haven't really even launched it. But he put it on Amazon as um as a Kindle, and now it's on Amazon as a as a, 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 a paperback book. Mm-hmm. But I understand there are a lot of people who don't particularly want to order online. So the thing to do is go on Amazon, look at the. Um, the, what, what's called the uh, ISBN number, uh, get in touch with your local bookshop and say, hey, there's this, this book I want, and this is the ISBN number, and it's called Sons of Soul, and they, they'll get you in a copy. Awesome. Um, but we will actually be uh, later this year, when we both have a moment, uh, we'll be launching it in bookshops. Um, cool. I don't know what your big bookshop done is in New Zealand, but I shall make sure it's given a big tick. What calls... Listen in. <laughs> okay, there we go. Yeah. Uh, awesome. I, awesome. I'm looking forward to reading it personally. I'm a big, I, I won't turn my camera around because it'll, um, I'll lose it. But I've got a whole big bookshelf just over here. And I'm currently reading Lord of the Rings for the first time, Kevin. Oh, wow. Transported by Tolkien's writing at the moment. Um, Brilliant. But, so I'm no, looking forward to reading your one um, when it comes over here. I, I'll wait for the paperback because I, I'm not a very good, I'm not very good reading on a screen or no. a Kindle. I'm, I, need, I need a physical book. Yeah, 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 absolutely. When I told people that um, that you're hopping on and I put it out to our um, social media audience, I had a lot of questions and I've tried to filter through just a couple of couple of them. Um, and one of them, one of the people has asked me. This is comes from a Noah. I haven't got every. So if I've missed your question, guys, I'm really sorry if I've missed your names because I've put them together. But. Um, his question was, did you keep any props from Pirates or Doctor Who? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> it's very funny. I, I found out on the first Pirate film that the big scene at the end with the Aztec gold, people were nicking the odd bit of Aztec gold. And I heard about this and I, I thought, well, I'll go down and get a bit of Aztec gold. And I went down there and there were, there were guards at the door virtually they were producers but they were guards saying <laughs> yeah. if you're not in the scene you can't come in and i went oh, i just want to get a bit of aztec gold no we've got a problem and in fact if you i, I, I swear to god if you go back and look at that scene <laughs> at the beginning of the scene the chest is heaving with aztec gold by the end of the scene it's about half full <laughs> so uh i missed uh, i missed getting my aztec gold and i didn't get anything from a doctor who because there weren't really there weren't really any big props to take Right. from there right. I just did my um, just at the end of last year I, I achieved a goal of doing my first uh, western in Montana playing the sheriff and I have got my sheriff's badge so for that I'm very happy I'm very surprised you're not wearing it right now Kevin I'll be wearing it with pride to everything 
I know I, I should do, shouldn't I? But I don't want to lose it. Yeah, no, that that is that is fair enough. What would you if you could have kept an item from Mr. Gibbs, what would you have kept? I'm just adding on to the question here, but he's rum bottle. Ah. Oh, I'm amazed that didn't get me rum bottle. Yeah, I should have got me rum bottle. Oh, the little leather one that gets fired out of a cannon at one point. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's the yeah. Yeah, they're very careful about that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's fair enough. Hey, um, another one I got here is um, you've just become an author. What do you personally enjoy reading or who do you enjoy reading? Well, I read a lot of uh, fact-based books. In fact, I'm reading a wonderful biography of the Beatles by um, Mm. Craig Brown at the moment, which I'm really enjoying. But my fiction is science fiction. Um, I've always read science fiction and I just love it. I just love it. I have hundreds of science fiction books and I just love reading it. I love that world because the very best of, in fact, Stephen Fry has very kindly put on the back of my book. Um, uh, he says, like, like all the best science fiction, it tells us much about now and about current human problems, greed, ambition, etc. And I'd recommend this book to anyone. Beautiful. Stephen said. Um, but that's what attracted me to it. Because I remember when I first started reading science fiction, one of the biggest one of the books that is number one on many people's lists is The Forever War by Joe Haldeman. It's about people flying across the galaxy to, to fight this war with these aliens and coming back. And because of time dilation, they, they haven't aged much, but the world is 200 years older. And so by after three missions, he's coming back to a world he doesn't recognize. Mm. And this makes complete sense when you find out that Joe Haldeman was a Vietnam veteran. Right, um, yeah. And in a way, this was his way of writing about he was coming home to America that he didn't mm. recognize after mm. going and fighting the Viet Cong. So, and I think all of the best science fiction uh, tells us in an abstract way about the world that we live in. And uh, and I hope my book well with it. Oh, absolutely. No, I think, I think you're 100% right. Um, this one came up quite a few times, and I'll ask it, and I'll ask you one more after it. Um, it's, an, uh, it's one of the biggest questions that came through but you've kind of touched on it working with johnny depp how, how would you sum up that that experience fantastic um we're a great comrade a, a, a man of um of a humble ego a huge talent um a, a delightful human being um a generous friendly humanitarian man uh if you could just turn up on time it'd be great but um it's not <laughs> That's not his forte. <laughs> That's <laughs> but awesome. we can forgive him that for, for, for the wonderful man that he, he is. He is. He's, he's fantastic. The last one is, um, and I, I love this question because it's, so, it's, it's such an interesting one. You've probably been asked it before. But I always end on this question because I love it. Dinner. You're going to dinner later on. You got you got your what would you say? Your corned beef. I don't want to say it wrong. Corned beef and corn, corn beef and cabbage. Yeah, corned beef and cabbage locked in when when in Dublin, right? Um, yeah. But if you could have dinner with three people, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Um, it would be. I mean, I have had dinner with some people that I quite enjoyed, but um, it would be uh, Albert Einstein. Mm. Um, in his latter years, when his English was a bit better. Mm. Um, I think it would be with Christopher Hitchens, who is one of my, I'm sorry he's gone, favorite commenters on, Mm. you know, the horrors of religion, for instance, Mm. and rationality. Mm. And uh, I wouldn't half mind me dad to show up again. <laughs> that's that's a that's really that's a really cool that's a really cool lineup. The conversations would be very interesting. It would be yeah. Yeah, I had I asked someone this question and they profoundly said they would sit down with fifteen-year-old them and sixty-year-old them, and they were in their thirties. Oh. And I, that's a very profound answer. <laughs> no, that's good. Yeah, 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 that's really good. But no, no, yeah, Albert Einstein. He must have been the one that uh, made you realize. Oh. If I want to be an astrophysicist, yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I'd love to match up to. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, well, Kevin McNally, it has been an absolute absolute pleasure having you on the on the podcast. And what I love, Kevin, is that Thanks. you you have been on some of the biggest sets and biggest things um, that film has produced, and 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 all of that stuff. But you are one of the most down to earth people and you've even said with what you do with teaching acting and, and you, you give back to the to the, the community as well um so i'm really i'm really just honored but also um it's cool to see that you 
you, you've kept your grounding. You know what I mean? You've kept you've kept you. to who you are. Um, Thank you very much. But yeah, so I, ho- I hope you've enjoyed the experience being on a New Zealand it's podcast. It's been delightful. Thank you. I, I'm really glad we got to do it after a few uh, tricky starts, but we, we managed to do it, which is great. We got there. And hopefully we'll see you over here at Armageddon. I think that's our, our conference. We'll get you out to New Zealand, mate. Yeah. yeah st- write those letters, everyone. Good, good, good.